From Relay FM, this is the Pen Addict episode 362, and today's show is brought to you by Pen Chalet and our friends over at Moo. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Brad Dowdy. Hi, Brad Dowdy. Hey, Mike Hurley. Long time no talk. How are you? Why would you always got to break the fourth wall for? <laughs> because I know it drives you up the wall. We can just... Illusions. Illusions. This is a week mm. apart, right? We can do that. Well, I do have a question before uh-huh. uh, we bring in our special guest once yep. again. I don't know in the history of podcasting, has there ever been a two-part podcast? I feel like we're breaking ground here. Like, this is historical podcasting moment, mm. right? Never been done before? I would say we're breaking our ground. I don't think mm. we're breaking podcasting ground in general. So someone has actually done like a two-part podcast Probably. Probably. Mm, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate because, Mike, we have our good friend and guest, Mr. Dan Smith from the Nib Smith, back once again this week. How's it going, Dan? It's going great. I'm so honored I could be a part of this <laughs> historical moment. <laughs> that's right. I'm telling you, Dan, this is podcast history in the making i think mike's <laughs> wrong uh this is mike is wrong all over again i mean hmm. he he might be the the podcasting don he might know a lot of people and a lot of things i think he might be wrong in this if case there's one but thing i don't know it's history <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well i do know history mike as in last week's episode is historical now and if you did not catch it for whatever reason you want to go back and listen to part one of Mike and uh, myself's conversation with Dan Smith about his beginnings in the fountain pen world, his transition into an FP geek, and then into a Nib Smith, and now into apparently we're we're working on a world takeover path. Is that where we're headed, Dan? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we're going full world takeover. But the real reason I wanted to get you on this show, and I didn't mention it last episode, but I have been a little bit slack in getting you on here because people ask me all the time about nib grinds, right? That's one of the most frequent questions we get just in general because I talk about them all the time. Mike talks about them all the time. And I've always said, well, let me get Dan on. And I think I asked you probably like a year ago, if not more than that. And you said, and like instantly, yeah. Anytime, let me know. And then Brad does nothing, as he normally does. And then he forgets about it until like six six months. And someone asks a question that he can't answer. And I was like, oh, I should get Dan on again. And then <laughs> again, I ask you. And you say, yeah, man, anytime. And then I don't follow through. But I followed through this time, damn it. And we're doing this. And we have all the nib grinding questions from all the listeners. So that's what this episode is going to be about. We're going to pick your brain about the hows and whys and the nuts and bolts of nib grinding. We're going to talk about different pens, different products, um, you know, a lot different from last episode where we talk about history. This time we're going to basically do a full episode of Ask Dan. What do you think? It's awesome. Let's get into it, man. All right. I'm going to go. We got to start at the 101 level. What is a nib grind and why do I want one? So a nib grind is exactly literally what it sounds like. I grind the tip of the nib into a different shape. Um, and someone would want that to add a little bit of character to their writing. So instead of a uniform line in all directions, like you would get with a ballpoint or roller ball, uh, a grind will change the thickness depending on which direction the, the nib is going. Um, you'll get thin lines and thick lines, and it just adds a really pleasing look to the resulting line. So we're taking 
our stock pin and we're almost doing it. I call it like a customization for me, right? Like right. I'm going to make it better for me. And the biggest question is how do I determine what's the best for me? It's like, how do you explain that to a customer who's never done, you know, or never even considered having, you know, their standard medium point Pelican worked on before? Like, how do you, would you explain that to someone who's never had a nib grind before? Um, I don't know if I necessarily say there's a, a best grind for them. There, there might be one that, you know, works a little better or, um, maybe fits their hand, but a lot of people can really use about anything I offer. Um, I think it sort of just comes down to seeing how they hold the pen, um, how they write mostly, you know, whether it's in cursive or all caps, um, and then kind of going with the thickness of the line that they're after. And I can kind of make some recommendations based on that. So when you are sitting down to grind a nib into whichever shape, which we'll, we'll talk about all the shapes here in a minute, what are the types of tools that you're using? So for me, I use a Dremel with two different grinding wheels. One's a, a, a diamond coated disc uh, f- for removing lots of material quickly or for especially hard tipping materials. And then I have one that's more of a kind of a buffing wheel that will polish all those surfaces I just ground. And then I use a variety of, of polishing cloths, um, you know, micro mesh and the uh, mylar film. Uh, to really finish off the grind, smooth it, and and get it um, into the the final steps. What I've always found the most interesting um, when I see any nib grinder in action is how can you actually see what you're doing? What tools do you use? Because I'm a blind person without these glasses, and there's no way I could even hold up a nib to my face close enough to be able to do work on it. How do you see what you're doing? Early on, well, so I, I use like that little headset kind of magnifier mm-hmm. thing, and that helps a little bit. Um, but really early on, it was just lots of checking with a loop, um, mm-hmm. you, you know, to see what materials being taken off and where. And then after you've been doing it so long, it's it's really just feel now. I mean, I could probably go through an entire grind without looking at it once and probably be about 90% on. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just I'll, I'll check it every now and then with with the loop just to make sure I'm you know, on point and where I need to be. But um, after so long, you just get a feel for it. So has your eye prescription changed since you've been doing this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get it checked regularly. (laughs) I couldn't be more serious about these questions. Like, this is like my biggest question with any nib grinders. Like, how are you not blind yet? Because this would kill me. Like, (laughs) I don't know how you do it. It's amazing. So you've got everything set up. What type of of grinds are the most popular that you that you do um i'd probably have to say cursive italic is the most popular mm-hmm. um but then a, a really close second would be architect for me um wow I do that's a, surprising yeah I, I do a lot of architects especially at shows um and i think because at, at a show where people can get that instant feedback it the architect is, is better suited for that um, even though, I mean, I still get excellent results online, you know, and then when I send them to people, but, uh, there's just something about having it done in person that I do a lot of them at shows. Yeah, it's very particular. So let's go through a couple of these in a little bit more detail. So cursive italic, that's what I would guess would be the most popular. And from 
an outsider's perspective like myself, you're taking a rounded tip nib and essentially kind of squaring it off and sharpening the edges so you get quite a bit of line variation between your horizontal and vertical strokes. But as someone who actually does this for a living, how would you describe a cursive italic nib? So a, a cursive italic <clears throat> and a stub, I, you kind of have to talk about these two hand in hand. Yeah, because definitely. They're, similar. they're, they're both going to offer a, a thick vertical stroke and a thin horizontal stroke. The difference comes in a stub is going to be smoother. It's going to have a lot more rounded edges uh, it's going to feel closer to an unmodified round nib and its smoothness, and the the line thick or the line variation isn't going to be as pronounced as the cursive italic. Mm -hmm. So the the cursive italic is going to have a much thinner horizontal stroke. It's going to be just a little bit sharper on the edges, um, and it's going to provide much more pronounced line variation. And then contrast those with an architect, which I'm still I'm still kind of taking in the the feedback that you said that's your second most popular grind at shows because I that's an I consider that an extreme type of grind like that is you need to know what you're getting into to get that and I guess at pen shows a lot of people do know that but how does that grind contrast to your cursive italics and stubs for people who don't know it's going to be basically the opposite of a stub mm -hmm. or cursive italic you an architect is going to give you a thin vertical stroke and a thick horizontal stroke. So do you have to give special instructions when you're doing an architect grind for people's expectations? Because it's so, it's, it's very unnatural to most people. Now, some people might have a natural, um, you know, hand movement that, that makes it work like flawlessly. But for me, when I use an architect grind, which I have yours and I love it, I had to think about it. Like I don't have to think about when I'm writing with a stub, when I'm writing with an architect, I have to think about it. Do you have any caveats when you're talking to people about getting their first architect grind? So the architect is much more dependent on the angle the pen is held. So whether you hold it, you know, the pen lower or more steeper, um, that matters. And I try to match that to the customer's grip. So they don't have to focus on how they hold the pen. They can just hold it naturally and the pen will work for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's one reason why it is so popular at shows because I can more easily customize it to the person's natural grip. Um, but so, yeah, they need to know about that. And then the architect does feel different than a stub or cursive italic. There's usually a little bit more feedback to that nib. Um, but that can change depending on how it's ground. I can grind the architect more like a cursive italic. So that line variation is really pronounced. So you get those really crisp lines, that really thin vertical, or I can make it more like a stub where it's softer and smoother, but that line variation is a little more subtle. Um, so it can kind of go both ways there. Do you have any difficulty? Well, not difficulty because you're good at all of them, but are certain nib grinds harder to execute than others? Yeah, for sure. Um, needle points can be tricky at times. And when I say needle point, so there's Japanese extra fine needle point would be finer than that. Like say mm -hmm. platinum's like UEF or sailors, um, super extra fine, you know, the, the Saibutagi. Yeah. Like um, the 0.01 type of range. Right. Right. Um, getting consistent results on that, um, can be tricky and that's mostly due to how stiff or soft the nib itself is. Um, I tend to get better results on, on stiffer nibs with needle points. So just something to keep in mind there. 
Yeah. And do do you charge more for, for that difficulty? Like if you know, like do each, do specific nib grinds have specific price points based on their difficulty? Um, I don't know if it's so much based on difficulty, but more the time it takes to complete that grind. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. So yeah, needle points architects, you know, they take longer. Um, and then I, I can do like the, the, uh, Naginata Tagi, mm-hmm. the, the sailor grind. And, and that's got more complex geometry to it. It takes longer. Um, I really only do that one by, by special request. How um, would you learn that? Like if that's a specific grind that sailor have done, like how do you learn how to do that? I I bought one of the nibs and I use it as a model and then so you I, just study it and yeah and replicate exactly it as, as yep. best as you can. That's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just I'm constantly you know checking it against my grind. I, I write with it, make sure the results are the same. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I, I learn new ones. So you kind of alluded to this a second ago, but how much does the nib material affect the results? Like between a steel nib and a gold nib. Like if I walked up and said, Dan, I want an architect grind and I have this big Lamy broad steel nib and I have this Pelican, you know, broad or medium gold nib. What can I expect the results to be different like would i expect their results to be different or am i going to get the same general feel like outside of just the overall softness of the nib yeah the the nib material itself isn't going to play that big of a role in the result okay. it's really going to be um the size and shape of the tipping and then how how stiff or soft that nib is okay so the end result you should feel you know like if i'm getting a curse vitalic nib it's going to generally feel the same outside of just whatever those nibs properties are right like steel right, okay it's yeah, probably yeah. going to be stiffer gold maybe a little bit softer maybe a little bit more give give exactly. do you ha- do you have to adjust the grind like say if i was getting a curse of italic would you grind it differently on a gold nib than a stub nib all things you know being equal because of like the little bit more give that a gold nib might have uh you have to kind of pay attention to the, the inside edge of, of the grind, like where the, the nib slit is, uh, mm-hmm. with a softer nib, if, and especially if a person applies more pressure, mm. that inside edge is going to dig down into the paper more. Yep. So this is kind of also plays into customizing the nib for the person itself, where if they have a light touch, they're not going to feel that. So if you smooth that inside edge, it's going to result in kind of a baby's bottom or that's how it's going to act like them they're probably going to get hard starts and things like that where if they have where if they apply more pressure they're they're not going to notice it they're going to get that smooth nib um so softer nibs can be a little bit more tricky um but generally it's they're all ground the same so if i'm a brand new fountain pen user like i'm coming to my first pen show and i've listened to these two yokels on this podcast talk about various pens and various nib grinds and and they've made up all kinds of fancy words that I don't know, but I know I'm going to go to Dan's table and let's just for discussion's sake, let's pick up a, I don't know, a sailor pro gear with a medium nib. Okay. How would the conversation go when I say I want to grind, but I don't know what I want. Because you have to get that a lot, I would guess. Oh, yeah. Um, and really, I just start with um, having them uh, write with the pen. And, and I mm-hmm. kind of just watch them see 
um, how they hold the pen, how they typically write, uh, whether it's, you know, cursive or, or print, as kind of I mentioned before. And usually a stub is, is always a good starting point for most people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be really smooth. It's going to give them good line variation in most instances. And we can go from there. But if I see someone who always writes in cursive, um, you know, I might go towards more of a cursive italic and, and really get that line variation to pop, really add a lot of character to their writing. Um, if I see that they, they write smaller and only in all caps, I might recommend a, a fine or medium fine architect because um, that's really going to change the look of their writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of getting to know them and, and how they write. So I think it goes without saying because you've already said it several times, but I'm going to repeat it. It really makes a big difference if that person's sitting in front of you as opposed to mailing you a pen saying put an architect grind on this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like how like how how much like do you feel like you get you get that instant feedback with someone? Do you have a greater I don't know, if if someone's sending it through mail, does it cost you more in time because you don't know what the results are going to be. There's back and forth in, you know, email saying, trying to decide in words how to make this grind. Like, is there a lot more overhead just mentally and time-wise doing it via mail order? Uh, Initially, yeah. Um, Getting that first one right, um, making sure they're happy with it and it's working for them. There's there's definitely a lot more back and forth. um, And even if they have to send it back for an adjustment, um, you know, that's taken care of and no charge, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. but after that, once we've done it before and I've got something to refer back to the grinds after that are usually no problem. Gotcha. Do you have general kind of like general notes on people? Like, do you keep kind of like an idea? I save all all the communications and, mm-hmm. and notes from orders and things like that. So I can always refer back to it. Yeah. Good. Cool. You have dossiers. we don't want to know what's in those mike with all the different nibs that you've seen over the years do you have anything you want to share about things you've learned between i don't want to put you on the spot between you know okay you might have a vendor now but are there brands that are easier to work on than others are there some that just make you cringe and you just you know say okay we're going in we're gonna do this (laughs) you know are there some that are challenges um Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when I was, uh, accepting mail-in orders for pens, I was getting a lot of Visconti Mm -hmm. and now, I mean, I haven't been taking orders for about a year now and I, I've heard things have improved there and I haven't, I don't have a lot of direct, uh, contact with the, with the nibs recently. So I've heard things have improved and I I hope Mm -hmm. they have, but in the past it, it was, uh, Visconti. Um, I think now the easiest for me to work on is, is sailor. Um, Mm -hmm. for some reason I just always get excellent results grinding their nibs. Um, they've probably got the most consistent, uh, quality control on, on their nibs than than anyone else that I deal with. Uh, I, I rarely have to touch them out of the box. Um, one interesting, um, thing that I've learned is that pilots tipping is incredibly hard it's it's much harder than everyone else's tipping material interesting yeah when, when i grind their nibs I, I have to start with uh the the diamond wheel because 
it just takes forever otherwise and well that is that pretty consistent from like extra fine up to broad like you it's pretty consistent between those yeah it, well as far as as far as the or, tipping the tip as far as the tipping firmness right there's no real variation all it's across the board right yeah um because i think as far as the process go they they make their own tipping material like they have mm-hmm. you know their own composition and everything and so yeah it's it's consistent from all nib sizes interesting interesting see that's good to know that's why we gotta that's why we gotta have you on here so um um we have a bunch of listener questions to get to and there's some interesting ones and you know i could go through all of them now just asking you questions you know rapid fire but i want to get these listeners involved and we took in a bunch mike so let's talk about one of our good friends at pen chalet wonderful supporter of this podcast and uh, let's see what they have for us this week, Mike, before we get into these questions. Pen Chalet sell authentic, amazing rollables and fountain pens and ballpoints and mechanical pencils and refills and pen holders and fountain pen converters and carrying cases and so much more. They have everything you're looking <laughs> for. Fast and reliable customer service. Great deals. Great shipping. If you order anything uh, with a total order of over $50 in the U.S., the shipping is free, but they do international shipping as well with great shipping rates. Pen Chalet believes in low prices on high-quality pens. They offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee for that. Um, they have a, all of your favorite brands, and they have great deals and great discounts. Twice a month, they do special discounts. They do closeout specials every two weeks as well, and they're always adding new styles of pens. I find these days anything that I'm looking for, I go to Pen Chalet and I can find it. And what's great about that for being a pen addict listener, you can always get 10% off at any time on any purchase at Pen Chalet on top of their other fantastic savings as well. So go to penchalet.com, P-E-N-C-H-A-L-E-T.com and click the podcast link at the top of the website and use the password PENADDICT for this week's special offer and to get the code that you need to save 10% on anything over at Pen Chalet. And this is one of those weeks, Brad, where the offers are so special. They're so amazing that we can't even talk about them. So the only wow. way that you're going to know is by going to penchalet.com, click the podcast link at the top of the website, and enter the password penaddict. You'll get to be able to feast your penaddict eyes on those wonderful offers <laughs> and get the code that you need to save 10% at any time at penchalet. Our thanks to penchalet for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Dan, real quick before we get into specific questions, can you give me a general price point idea for, let's just say, the most basic grinds, cursive, metallic, stub, needlepoint, architect, just so people who don't have any experience doing this just kind of have an idea in their head of what they're looking at if they're interested? Yeah, so there's basically two p- price points. Uh, stubs and cursive italics are 45 and then needlepoints and architects are 60s. Uh, obliques, are they're a little bit more. They're, they're 50 but... Um, and then tuna smooths, they're included at no charge when you buy a pen from me. But at a show, if you bring a pen, uh, that's 25 Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, you know, pretty consistent, you know, for the the type of work that I've certainly, certainly had. And I'm, it's, I find the end results of spending that extra money well worth it to really get the writing experience that I want. Like we've, we've joked about the, the Sailor Pro Gear Ocean before but it's not the same pen with a stock nib for me the way i write the way i have a block style lettering and when i get like a stub grind on a fine japanese nib that makes my handwriting just so much more enjoyable for me so that's why i personally enjoy getting uh nibs ground and i am more than happy 
to uh, pay that price to have something so enjoyable. All right, let's get into it, Dan. From our friend, Incantadora. Dan, what is your favorite nib to write with? Uh, that's an easy one. Sailor Fine Nib. Really? That's... Oh, yeah. I, okay, so... I feel like I know you like I don't know you like really really well but I know you pretty good and I know you're a sailor fan that is not at all what I expected I thought we were going to like some German medium nib Mont Blanc or Pelican like I thought we were going big honking nib not fine upside down on a winter's morning (laughs) March of 2013 it's a very specific (laughs) grind you why 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 the sailor? Uh, it's it's just I, I like the way it feels. I, I like the size. Um, it's just perfect for for my writing. Yeah, I mean, you're not getting any argument from me whatsoever. I just didn't think that was going to be the answer. I mean, that's it for me. Like, if you give me, tell me to pick one nib to use just for the rest of my life, it's probably that one. That's uh, that's very cool. Now, separate from that. Do you have a favorite nib to grind? Is there a brand, size, style, material that you know you're going to get good results with every time and you go, you really much enjoy? Um, pretty much any sailor size, um, yeah. whether it's extra fine or, or zoom or music or whatever. I know if I'm grinding on a sailor, it's, it's going to come out awesome. So wait a minute. Are you sending this link to the sailor distributor when we're done? Like, do you need something from them? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, also from Anna, is there any nib modifications or grinds that you will not do? Like, is will someone ask you to do something to your their nib that you will refuse to do? Um, no, not really, not that I can think of. Um, mm-hmm. Well, like I guess a, a separate question to be: Is there a, a specific type of um, grind that someone might ask for that is something that you would? push back against and be like are you sure about this i suppose if it was on like a really rare vintage pen mm. i would want to make sure they're they're really certain that they we want that. have a question we have that question <laughs> that that's probably the only one i would push back. i guess well there is one i, I don't add flex to nibs okay. um just because the outcome is um so uncertain and you never it's hard to tell how much experience the customer has with it. And it's just, it's not, I've not had good experiences with it in the past. So I don't do added flex. That's a different set of expectations too, right? Right. I mean, it is. You can, n- number one, you being the nib grinder can do certain things, but is that going to match the results of the expectations of your customer? And that's a hard thing to, to line up. I would imagine like, me and you will come to pretty good terms on a curse of italic, but right. if but we're gonna have a lot harder time getting there on a flex, and I I can totally totally see that. All right, last one from Anna. What's your favorite ink? I don't know if I have like one specific color. Um, mm-hmm. I would say I use a lot of Sailor ink and a lot of uh, Mont Blanc. What is ink. happening here? It's hey, they <laughs> they make really good products, man. I know you should just be on this podcast with us. Like, man, you're you're catching me all off guards with the sailors. Well, now stuff. that I'm doing this full time, my Wednesdays are open. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I I do follow your um, your Instagram, and you, Mike, and I can get into 
an entire offshoot Sailor Limited edition discussion because I know you're a big yeah. fan of those things too, right? I, I j- did just have two arrive yesterday, and I've got uh, four more on the way. Nice. Four. Yeah. A bit of a Mike, problem. Yeah, Mike, you have you have competition now. I just need, I I just need a good Rialo. <laughs> yeah, all I need right now is a good Rialo. So when you find a good Rialo, let me know, Dan, and um, and then then I'll be happy. Like, I'm good not being on that train right now, but I do want a good Rialo. So... All right, from Chorok, what is the most unusual nib grind you have ever done? Is that such a thing? Um, yeah, I had a customer who who holds the the pen. Um, how do I want to say? Very specifically, and <laughs> they wanted a, an architect result, but it had to be ground um, much differently than how I would regularly grind an architect. And so he basically sent me like a blueprint of the nib grind and with like all the angles outlined and it was, it was wild, but it was incredibly helpful and it turned out fantastic. Like he loved it, Uh, but it was definitely the most unusual grind I'd ever done. Okay. I'm like trying to wrap this around my head. So would you say like it almost had to be at a certain angle, like a left to right angle on on the grind for, to work with his specific riding posture. Yeah, it or, was the way it was rotated. Um, mm-hmm. It was almost like a, a right oblique, but because of the way he tilted the pen, there were just a lot of extreme angles. Yeah. Involved. Um, but yeah, it was, it turned out great. I was happy with it. He was happy with it. I was going to say that's got to be intimidating on the front end, but like to finish it and to be, you know, the customer to be happy with it, that's got to be pretty satisfying. Right. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. That's 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 the best part. (laughs) I I especially love it. at shows because when, when you meet someone who's never had nib work or a nib grind and you know, the the first time they, they write with it when you're done, they just like are almost glowing. Like that's mm -hmm. awesome. That's the best part. Love yeah. Can I ask then, and you can you can no comment this question if you would so prefer. Have you uh, have you ever absolutely destroyed someone's nib? <laughs> um, <laughs> nothing stands out. Um, okay, I, I've had I've had to do it. You know, maybe two or three times. Yeah, you know, adjust it. But mm-hmm. uh, no, I don't think I've ever actually just destroyed someone's nib. Okay. <laughs> All right, we got a few here from Andrew in the Slack. And this is a very broad question, but I think it's kind of important for a lot of different reasons. What do you see as the future of your specific pen business? More retail type sales or more nib grinds? I think definitely more sales just to mm-hmm. keep the business going. I mean, that that's where the majority of... Um, you know, profits going to be made, right? Because those are not those are not equivalents. Yeah, right. I, I would expect the return on investment is is better for your time as well, right? On a on a sale of a pen than a nib grind. Exactly, yeah. um, but because they are so tied together, I think. I mean, it's it's going to be both. Definitely, I, I have to focus on both. Right. So taking those things into account and then the kind of the second part of his question, how does that division of time spent between, okay, working on the retail side versus working on the grinding um, is 
I guess is that why you haven't been doing the mail order grinding right now just because of that investment, that time investment? Yes. I mean, almost every pen I sell has some nib work on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is a significant amount of time spent there. Um, But if you factor in all the other stuff involved with just selling, you know, I mean, I do all the website stuff myself. I do all Mm -hmm. the photography, social media, newsletters, um, responding to customers, you know, all that wrapped together. Um, I do spend more time on that. Um, So it's, as sales grow, it, it is going to become a, a problem again where the amount of time I'm spending on grinds is, is going to overtake everything. Yeah. And he also asks, and I, I wonder this myself, how do you keep track of all of this? You know, what what pens have, I mean, obviously you have your, your, your back-end sales systems and that handle your orders, but how do you keep track of, okay, what's the workflow for this pen that just came in? Does it need just a regular touch-up and you know, smoothing? Do I need a special nib grind? How does that fit in the workflow? Is it first in, first out? Is it, you know, length of time? So how does your backend um, workflow work when you're selling pins online? So, yeah, it's, it's generally um, first in, first out. Um, it, it's, it doesn't get real complex because of the nib grinds added to it. Um, that's all on the order for me. I'll just go grab them out of inventory, um, mm-hmm. look at each order, perform the work, and then um, set it off to the side for shipping. And my, my wife helps with the shipping. So she takes care of everything after that point. Um, but it doesn't really add much complexity to it. Just a little bit more time for the nib work. Yeah. Have you invoked child labor yet? Cause you have two oh, young yeah. kids. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They, they build all the Without boxes for the doubt. shipping. <laughs> Heck yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right, last one from Andrew. And I'm not even, I'm not sure I totally understand this question, but I think I know. What are the advantages and disadvantages of grinding freehand? So I guess what you do is freehand with the Dremel, which is pretty common. And then there's also like more fixed machines that are table-based. Like what, can you explain like what the differences are that people are seeing at pin shows from different nib grinders and their setups? Yeah, so almost everyone has it where the the grinding device is is fixed you know whether it's mm-hmm. a horizontal orientation or the dremel set up vertically um whereas i hold the dremel in my left hand and either you know brace it against the table or my leg um and i do it that way because i i change the orientation of the dremel quite a bit depending on on what i want to do with the nib and also so i can get a look at the tipping as i'm grinding and for me it, it's just easier for me to do it that way i've I've tried the fixed setups and Mm -hmm. i've never been able to really adjust to that i I didn't like it that i couldn't see uh the exact spot i was grinding on the nib so the the freehand is just easier for me that's how i prefer to do it Mm -hmm. um i don't know if there's really any advantage or disadvantage um i mean if i was going to recommend it to someone else i would just say you know try both setups try and see what works best for you. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. never know. Yeah, that's cool. Like I, like I see these different setups, but I don't know the reasoning behind why someone would choose X versus Y. So yeah, that's that's very cool. Very cool to hear that type of answer. All right, we have a highly specific question from Like Nate Champion. I have often heard individuals describe certain broad nibs as having a stubbish line variation. For example, the Pelican M1000 or the Mont Blanc BB. Others, like the Platinum C-Nib, 
do not. Please set the record straight. He's expecting a lot from you, Dan. Please, you're, this, is the, this is the record. Please set the record straight. Which have line variation and how much? Also, for Pelicans and Mont Blanc's higher-end pens, does it vary by model? So I guess in general, do you find, you, you see a lot of Pelicans. Do you, you carry Pelican, right? Yeah, I do. So the Pelican broad nibs, uh, do you carry Mont Blanc? No, I don't. But you're a very experienced Mont Blanc user. I oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty sure. Do you see basically a stock stub line variation from their broader nibs, I think is what we're trying to get at here. Yeah, from, from German companies, uh, especially when you get into the double broad sizes, you'll absolutely see a, a stub-like line variation. Pelican, I've even noticed it down into their medium nibs on mm-hmm. some. Um, they just shape the tipping differently. Uh, most Japanese companies, their C nibs, the coarse nibs is what they call it, is kind of equivalent to a double broad. I know Platinum and Pilot both have one. Those are really just like Sharpies. I mean, it's it's a very thick, uniform line in all directions. Okay. Um, otherwise, yeah. yeah, everyone else, you don't really see that line variation until you get into the double broad widths. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's probably why I haven't tried one of the coarse nibs. That style of line just does not suit my handwriting. Um, right. So, but I have I have a single Mont Blanc 149 with a broad nib, which I never thought I would like, but it actually has that kind of line variation just from a stock nib, which I think is pretty cool. So, yeah, very cool. So here's here is that question that I wanted to explore a little bit more. Are there any nibs you think would be wrong to customize? Like, you know, is it a rare vintage pen or, you know, for some reason, is there are there nibs that you would just leave alone and say, let's not do this today. <laughs> let's think about this some more. Yeah. Um, really, uh, it would just be a rare vintage piece. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a super expensive pen that's modern, I'm not going to hesitate. You know, I mean, I, I grind nibs on the Namiki emperor, um, pen, the ones I sell, I, I've done them at shows, you know, it's, I mean, I don't, I won't hesitate to do that. Cause but, I guess uh, the idea there is like, as long as you do it correctly and everyone's happy, if they change their mind later, they can replace it. But if it's a vintage piece, it can't be replaced, maybe. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great question. Like, and I, you know, for someone who provides a service like you do, I always want to know at what point do you say no? Like, are there reasons that make you say no and you know something like that you know that's pretty cool to hear like okay maybe there are pens out there that he's like you know what let's let's rethink this a little bit mm-hmm. and i like this last question from like nate champion as well you go to a lot of pen shows dan anything attendees should know beyond like the etiquette things that that mike and myself discussed do you what do you see big picture wise sitting behind the table or just hanging out at a pin show? Is there anything you want either first time attendees to know or experienced attendees to know that you kind of have run across uh, recently? Um, I mean, I've listened to a lot of your guys' shows where you talk about that and I can't really think of anything that you guys have missed. Um, mm-hmm. you, you cover pretty much everything. I mean, nothing stands out. Yeah. The, the funny thing about that, is that we still can't cover it enough, right? Which I find yeah. good. I It's good. Like we talked about this earlier this year, Mike. It's like we can't talk about 101 level stuff enough. Mm-hmm. And 
we sometimes myself primarily lose sight of that right we i have to have this understanding that everyone's a beginner sometimes and you know there's this community that is super interested in these things and they may not know everything and it's really okay to like ask the basic simple questions and to discuss the basic simple things and you should never hesitate to discuss those things with someone like myself or Mike or like Dan or Jacqueline who's helping at Dan's table like we want those questions like we were in your shoes not long ago you know we haven't been doing this for 40 and 50 years it's like we figured this stuff out ourselves too so you can always I guess the best thing I can say is always feel comfortable asking the most basic questions and that also gives us the kick in the butt to remember that, hey, there's some people who are just starting down this path and they need to know these things, too. So, yeah, that's yeah, really I mean, I would just say if you're at a show and, and you're wondering about something, just just ask, you know, whether yep. whether it's a vendor or you, you met someone or whatever, just just ask, just talk to them, because everyone there is is very open and, and willing to answer questions and, and chat about pens. Like you're, you're not going to offend or bug anyone by asking them a question. Yep. That's the right place to do it. So yeah, that's awesome. All right, Mike, I got a lot more to pepper Dan with, but before I do that, I want to hear what our good friends at Moo have to say this week. Yeah, we're very, very happy to have Moo back supporting the episode. Moo are an online print and design company. They offer a variety of premium print products, including business cards and postcards, notebooks, so much more, and they deliver to happy customers all around the world. If you're not familiar with Moo, you can order a free sample pack on their website. Just go to Moo.com, and they'll send you a bunch of their favorite products so you can really get a good sense for what they do. Networking is a super important part of any career, whether you're a designer, a novelist, or a CEO. You don't want to get caught out by not having a business card at that important moment. And with Moo, you can be prepared to show your creativity by having amazing business cards made. Great design is at the heart of what Moo does, and there's nothing like a slick, well-made business card. They're super easy to design and order, and Moo's business cards offer all the special and finished, like fantastic finishes and touches, like gold foil, race spot gloss, and letterpress. These are what make Moo's business cards unique and help your business get noticed and stand out from the crowd. Um, Moo, are, they make just wonderful cards. I have my business cards and have had my business cards made by Moo for years. I wouldn't go anywhere else. Um, I upload my own designs. They have a great system for that. But if you're not into designing your own card, they recently rolled out beautiful new templates of business cards drawing inspiration from trends that they've seen amongst their most creative customers. So you don't have to have a necessarily like artistic side of yourself. If, if you know what you want, Moo can help you make it. Um, I really, really love Moo's products. You know, they're, they're, they are super famous for their business cards, but they offer a full suite of products, including postcards and invitations and letterheads, stickers, flyers. They have notebooks as well, which I absolutely love their notebook. I, I've used their hardcover notebook all the time. It has a really wonderful cover. I love that it lays flat. Whatever you need, Moo have you covered with their fantastic customization options and their overall wonderful quality of their products. You can get 15% off your order right now when you spend over $50 at Moo.com by using the promo code PRINTMOO. That's all one word, PRINTMOO. That is Moo.com, the promo code PRINTMOO to get 15% off when you spend $50 or more. Our thanks to Moo for their support of this show and Relay FM. Moo. Let's get physical. So Flanker358 asks a question that you've already answered in your favorite factory nib. And, you know, the Sailor Fine seems to be kind of like a personal favorite. So I'm going to turn this around a little bit 
and ask you what companies are doing interesting things with nibs right now that you enjoy seeing? Well, so I'll get to that in a second, but actually my favorite factory nib is mm-hmm. the sailor Naginata Tagi. Okay. Well, that's not fair. You're just being mean now. Well, so the, the complexity of that grind <laughs> and then the results you get with it is incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. so that's my favorite one to use. I can't really use it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have to say that's my favorite. Okay, that's cool. I, that's always been on the short list for me. It's like I can't get over the size factor of it a little bit, like the the daily driver type aspect of it, um, which is why I've I've always kind of hesitated whenever I've had the opportunity to purchase one. But maybe maybe one of these days, maybe you'll talk me into it. Um, but yeah, but so what do you see just in the not necessarily the pin market as a whole, but the nibs themselves, do you see any changes in some of the more modern companies that you're carrying, be it, you know, Aurora, Pelican, Sailor, you know, Leonardo being a new option for you? Is anyone doing anything interesting that you're going, huh, this is new and different? I like where this is headed. Um, A little bit, yeah. Um, We're starting to see a little bit more of kind of a, a softer kind of semi-flex nib being introduced from several companies. It, it's nice that companies are attempting this. I can't say I'm, I'm blown away by the results. Um, I think you've really got to um, temper people's expectations, mm. um, you know, let them know what they're getting ahead of time with those. Um, but one thing I am very impressed with is Aurora's uh, ability to, to create and come out with, with new nib grinds. And one that they've recently done is called the Gocha nib. It's uh, G-O-C-C-I-A. I, I don't know exactly how you say it, but mm-hmm. it's very, very similar to Sailor's Naginata Togi. And they're offering it in three different sizes. Um, you, you get that same variation and line thickness as you, you know, raise and lower the angle of the pen. It's it's actually really cool to see a company that's been around for a hundred years introduce such a complex uh, nib grind uh, worldwide. I couldn't agree with that more. That I like to see that. Right, everyone can make their you know extra fine to broad nibs. Right, but to take the chance to do something a little bit different and introduce that as part of the lineup. I'm always going to support that. So I think that's, that's pretty cool to see. All right. Next questions from someone, you know, very well. Um, Inkpothesis asks, what's been the best part of growing your business over the last couple of years? It's been a lot of change in the last two or three years for you. What's been the best part? Really just meeting all the people in the community. I mean, being able to, meet them in person, um, connect with them at shows online, uh, build all these new relationships. I mean, I've got so many great friends that I've made over the past eight, 10 years from being in this community. Um, I really couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah. This community's fun, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like we're all, awesome. we're all about like fun and helpfulness and openness and positivity like i really really believe in that it's just a spectacular community and i'm just super glad you're a part of it and we're a part of it and you know everyone we get to see at pin shows and you know just out and about or even talking online it's just it brings a smile to my face all the time so what's been tough like you've had some tough decisions to make recently too so what kind of challenges have you run up against um, wow. Really finding the time just 
to do everything. Um, <laughs> hopefully that's going to be a little bit easier now. Um, yeah. But there, there's just so many aspects of the business trying to do it all yourself can really be overwhelming a lot of times. Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah, just finding the time to, yeah. to do everything. Figuring that out now. Yeah. So um, how would you describe the Nibsmith in a market full of retailers? I mean, let's face it, you have a lot of competition just for retail business. How would you give me the uh, give me the elevator pitch for the Nibsmith? When you buy a pen from me, it's going to work. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> oh, I like it. Yeah, I, like I said before, and we discussed this last week, that I think your business model, the the different setup of your business model, is very important in this marketplace right? The very hands-on customer centric, give me something a little bit extra that I can't get everywhere sets your, sets you apart uh, from that. And was that a conscious decision? Because to be perfectly honest, you're eating into your profits by offering these services. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's definitely an advantage that I have over everyone else. And I'm going to keep that for as long as I can. I mean, it's definitely going to be a part of the business for as long as I can keep doing it. Nice. Nice. So what, when you're out at pin shows now, and I I've seen you in action with the, the full, the full setup, I've actually been behind the table, like we mentioned for an hour or two helping you out. What's it like now when you go to a pin shoe, what, what can customers, you know, existing customers and new customers expect when they roll up to the big orange banners? I mean, and I appreciate that orange too. That's a solid, <laughs> solid orange choice there. What can they uh, expect when they roll up to your tables at a pin show? Um, usually I'm going to have at least two or three tables. Um, most of it's going to be covered in pen trays. Um, when, when you come up, feel free to pick up and handle anything. Um, I want you to get the pen in your hand, get a feel for it, take a close look at it. Um, I'm going to have every nib available for almost every pen. It may not be out, but I will have it in the back. And then if you're interested in it, if you, I, I will have a tray of inked pens as well. So I'm always going to have all the sailor nibs inked up. I'll probably have all the Lamy 2000 nibs inked up and then a variety of other stuff. And that's going to be down closer to me where I'm grinding nibs. Um, I'll have a pad of paper sitting out. Feel free to pick one up and just start writing. Um, and don't hesitate to ask questions, um, whether it's directly to me or to anyone helping behind the table. Um, they should be able to answer most of them. And, and if not, they'll, they'll grab me. Um, but really just... Um, stop by the table, be comfortable. Don't hesitate to, to ask questions and, and pick things up. Nice. Nice. Love it. So now the real hard hitting questions, Dan, are you team all-star or team safari? I know you're a huge Lamy fan, right? I am. Yeah. Um, but I would say if that it's going to be between, that sounded hard for you to say, <laughs> if it's going to be between those two, I mean, just give me a pencil at that point. <laughs> Now that's the answer I expected from you. Okay. We'll we'll let you slide on that. We'll let you slide on that. I mean, we know it's Safari, but you know, whatever. But who <laughs> really who has the ba better sailor collection right now between you and uh Jacqueline? Who helps you out at pen shows? Um well considering the two pens I just got yesterday, I'm I'm gonna have to pick my collection. 
Mm, nice. So are these are the when are these pins going to be on Instagram and when can I see them? Uh, probably later today. Nice. Oh, nice. so they'll be up. They'll be there for people to see by the time this episode goes up. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So last one from Jacqueline before we got a lot more questions. Um, where is Iowa? Where is Iowa? That must be a, a failing of the Indiana school system. <laughs> touche. Touche. I, she deserved that after these questions, right? <laughs> like, uh, come on, Jacqueline. That wasn't very nice, but uh, good answer. Good answer. All right. Shub one. Over the years, what are the main changes you have seen in nib grinding preferences? Like, have you noticed since you started doing nib grinds to the current uh, time, which has only been, what, three to five years maybe, have you noticed a change in preference between for, for customers? Yeah, I think the Architect has definitely become much more popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it yeah. first started out, I was doing lots of stubs, lots of cursive italics. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, now, like I mentioned earlier, the, the Architect is easily a close number two there. Yeah, that then that's that still boggles my mind. <laughs> so, have your customers' expectations changed over the years? Like, as far as you know, using getting you know their nib work done for you, do you feel are the customers more inquisitive, demanding? You know, do they are open? Like, what kind of customer experience changes have you noticed from the start until now? I don't know if I really have a good answer for this. Um, I mean, your customers, they're coming to you for a highly specific service, right? So right, and, and the only the only end result is, like you said before, it's got to work. So yeah. your transaction is going to be right no matter how we get there, right? Right. And, and they, I mean, they do have high expectations of me, as they should, and, and I need mm-hmm. to be able to deliver that. Um on a consistent basis. So yeah, I mean, I don't really think it's changed. Um, they, right. they may not quite know what to expect at, at first, but once that first transaction goes through, I mean, I, I want to set the bar high right? and I try to deliver that. And I think once I do, they just continue to expect that as they should. So this is a interesting question for all of the at home nib grinders who are, are, are taking this up from the inky side. While Dan is clearly a professional at the craft. I mean, they, I don't know that they know you very well. I'm just saying. What are his suggestions for us amateurs at home who might want to do basic smoothing or flow adjustment on our nibs? Like, do you have like a few tips for us amateurs at home who want to make minimal adjustments? Do you have tools? Do you have, you know, routines that you perform on certain products that aren't working well? What are kind of your tips and tricks for fixing basic nib issues? Yeah, so probably the most important tool is is a loop. You've got to be able mm-hmm. to see what's going on with the tip, and you've got to be able to see what your adjustments are doing to it. Um, so that, and maybe a couple um, smoothing cloths, you know, whether it's micro mesh or um, the mylar polishing films, and really just find as much information online that you can and go slow. Um, little adjustments can make big changes to the nib itself. Um, I, I could kind of go through the instructions of it, but it's, it's hard yeah. if you can't actually see, you know, what, what I'm talking about. Um, right. yeah, just, just always remember, go, go slow, take your time and, and be patient. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's for sure. But I get scared just, I used to, and, and I'm a little like 
I'm over it now, but just getting out my little micro mesh and just yes. doing the, the teeniest little buffing on a nib going, oh my God, I'm going to ruin it. Like mm-hmm. you really can't unless you're just like super ham handed, aggressive, like going to town on it. So now I'm a little bit more carefree, but that stuff scares me. Like I, to be honest, like it's intimidating to do these little minor things yourself, but it big picture wise you're going to be okay. Just kind of go for it. Take it slow. Yeah. So I'm going to modify this question from the inky side a little bit. Um, They ask, you know, what are the telltale signs that an amateur has misstepped or sprung or damaged a nib? And I'm going to take it down this path. Can you tell the difference between when I've dropped the nib or to when I got a little frisky with a nib and screwed it up? Oh yeah, for sure. Usually if, (laughs) I mean, if a nib has been dropped, there's going to be a, you know, usually a weird kink or bend or, you know, something that's not going to happen by just someone, you know, either pressing too hard or, um, making, you know, too big of a a, a grind or something like that on it is there's definitely going to be a sign of damage. If you, (laughs) if somebody comes to your table and they're like, Oh, this, this isn't working that well. And, uh, you can tell, do you keep it to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Always the job. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. I guess I can see like, why oh, it's not man. working. We can get this fixed yeah. up. No problem. Something, you know? something bad must have happened here. <laughs> Woo. But, but, you know, sometimes uh, a lot of people are really forthcoming. They'll say, you know, I tried to to smooth it or I tried to do this or that. And then at that point, I, I'll help them understand um, what they did incorrectly and, and how they can do it better next time if, if they mm-hmm. want to continue trying it. Nice. Nice. And then charge them double. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. Is there a most challenging grind to achieve consistently? I think you mentioned the needle point um, being maybe not to achieve the results consistently, but is there a specific grind that's just always hard no matter what? Um, for me right now, it's it's the Naginata Tagi mm-hmm. grind just because of uh, the geometry of it. And you, you've got to start with, you've got to have enough tipping there to get it to come out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, yeah, it's a little bit more challenging for me. It takes a little bit longer. Um, but everything else is, is pretty simple at this point. Let's talk about that tipping just for a second, because we had a question earlier in the chat. Have you ever gotten asked to bring a broad nib down to an extra fine or needle tip? Oh yeah. And, all, and all would you do it? Does it work? Can you do it or no? Oh yeah. I mean, it's not a problem. It's, it can change. I don't like to just because the aesthetics of the nib changes. I don't think it looks as good. So if, if I've got a nib that's closer to what they're looking for, I'll, I might swap the nib out and start with something closer to a fine or extra fine. Um, just because I think the end result looks better. The, the way the, the, curves of the tines come down to, to meet the tipping. Um, but otherwise it, it's no issue starting with a broad nib going to an extra finer needle point. So is there a general guideline that you have when someone's buying a new pin, knowing that they want to achieve X results? Say I want to, this to end up being like a fine cursive italic Will you say, let's start with a fine nib? Should we go with a medium nib so you have a little bit of room to play with? Do you have any kind of guidelines for those type of decisions? If they're looking for just, say, a fine or a medium cursive italic or architect 
I'll just start with that nib. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they have a specific width in mind, like say a 0.5 millimeter cursive italic, depending on what pen they want it on, I'll recommend something that's just a little bit wider and I can bring it down. Um, but usually if, if they have questions about it, I mean, they're always welcome to, you know, text me or email me and, and we can discuss it. Um, I don't, a lot of people will ask, should I just start with the widest nib to give you the most tipping material to work with? And that's really not the case. I we don't need to do that. If, if, especially if you're looking for, you know, an extra fine or fine cursive italic, I'll just start yeah. with that nib size. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good stuff. All right, last one, and we're going to get you out of here. This has been this has been amazing. This is from Jeff Starr Jr. Have a Pelican M805 with a medium nib that writes broader than a medium and too broad for me. Should I have it ground down to a nib size that works for me, a Western medium to fine, or try to swap it with someone? And here's the kicker. This is why I found this question interesting. I feel like grinding it down is destroying the beauty it was meant to be. What do you think about that thought process? I can definitely understand it. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's something to say about keeping a a nib in its factory form, I guess. And with something that's so easily available to swap to. Yeah. If if that's an easy option, Mm -hmm. um, definitely, I, you know, go that way. Um, Everything will still be under warranty. You know, you'll still, it'll, it'll come straight from the factory that way. Um, But otherwise I don't think it's, you know, that special of a nib that it, it can't mm-hmm. be modified or ground down to a size that fits you. Right. And then the, the good thing here is it's Pelican, right? There's right. You can always get an easy swap for a nib. They make it super, super easy to do. And Dan, you make it super easy for us to get pins and nib grinds from as the nib Smith at different pin shows online. You're an awesome resource you're a great friend, and I appreciate you spending these two episodes. You've been on live on the internet for like an entire week, just mm-hmm. answering questions just on this microphone. That's how long it took. You know, you just you were very patient it's after the first time. episode. You sat there and waited for like an entire week with your headphones on in front of the microphone, and then we got this second one in. So I really appreciate your time. It's a lot of time. Hey, it's it's no problem. I'm happy to do it for you guys. <laughs> we are now sad to announce that Dan has lost his job at the Nibsmith last week <laughs> full time and now he's ruined that's all how long that it took oh, he man. just sat here for a week just on Skype that's, that's how yep. long it takes yep. alright before we get you out tell us where you're going to be live and in person for the rest of the year um, let's see I'll definitely be at St. Louis DC San Francisco Colorado and Ohio Nice. And I want to try and get to Dallas still, still waiting on confirmation there. Uh, but that's the only one up in the air at the moment. Awesome. That's a busy schedule. You're a busy man. Welcome to the new busyness. Mm-hmm. I love to see it. Thank you very much guys. But if, if you can't meet Dan at a pen show, uh, you can always go to nibsmith.com and you can peruse his products and make orders there. Um, Dan also has a really great Instagram account actually, which is uh, at the nibsmith posts beautiful yeah, f- pictures of wonderful follow pens. at your own risk. Yes. It's worth it, but it's expensive. Worth it. <laughs> uh, you can find Brad at penaddict.com and knock.co uh, twitch.tv slash penaddict. He's dowdyism on Twitter, penaddict on Instagram. 
I'm Imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to the wonderful folk at Moo and Penn Chalet for their support of this episode. Uh, thanks again to Dan for joining us. But most of all, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next time, probably without Dan Smith. But who knows what's going to happen. Maybe he just keeps the call open and he's just here again next time. We'll find out. <laughs> Until then, say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.